Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are catching up on all the quarterfinal action at the French Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, quarterfinals, done and dusted at Roland Garros over the last couple of days. Again, we've had some fantastic matches to sink our teeth into. I think we've had some great matches in the in the morning. We've had some some great matches in the uh, in the evening, and we've also had some very kind of late finishes. And you know, Rafael Nadal, record setter across all of his career. Well, he set another record, didn't he, last night, or should I say, early morning? Um, I'm just glad that we didn't have to record a podcast after after that. Match finished. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, Joel, isn't it? Because when the tennis is literally on, you know, I'm having my breakfast at like 10 a.m. these days when it starts on the on the coverage, and then you know it was going on and on and on yesterday, and then I don't know. Now it's finished at 9 p.m. today. I feel quite like redundant. I I don't really know what to do because <laughs> I'm so used to just it being on all the time. So and tomorrow, you know, we've got the women's semis. It's it's not starting till like two UK time. So I'm like what am I going to do in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really sad, doesn't it? I mean, that schedule yesterday, um, it obviously had that match carried over Yabor versus Collins, and it meant that there were five matches on Chatrier. And as a result of that, and the Dominic Team Schwartz's match, which we'll get into in a sec, which lasted five hours, um, it meant that, yeah, we had the latest finish ever, at Roland Garros, um, I think it was yeah around one thirty a.m. Uh, local time, and um, which is is incredible given there's there's no night session. It's not like the U.S. Open where there's a day session and a night session. Um, that might be the case in the future, but at the moment they literally started at ten a.m. and it was like nonstop tennis. I mean, great. I mean, great if you're a fan. If you, if you're willing to put the, uh... if you're really willing to put the minutes in, you could have you could have got a lot of bang for your buck, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there will be a night session, like a ticketed one from next year at Roland Garros. So I guess this is just a taster of what we need to get used to, uh, especially for Rafa, because I'm sure he'll be put on those those night sessions that are, that are coming. So, I mean, they won't be in, in October, hopefully. It'll be back in its usual slot, but it, it still does get pretty chilly in Paris in, you know, on a May or June evening. So, 
yeah, it was it was interesting that we got to have have that for the first time, and and perhaps it's fitting that it was the twelve time champion that that came on, you know, for that. But um, yeah, the reason that there was such a delay, I mean, they were very ambitious in their scheduling with with five matches. You know, when, when I saw that on the app the, the day before, I was thinking there must be some mistake, but uh, no, they they went for it, and, and knowing arguably that surely Schwartzman team was going to be a long one, you know, I think that kind of always had five sets written all over it and that is what we got uh, it was over five hours long war of attrition between the two of them and you know in the end that was I think enough to to put team you know to bed really because the fatigue that he's obviously been experiencing and it's getting stronger and stronger with each each round that he's played here uh, you know everything from from New York and you know the time in between and now here it, it's just sort of caught up with him and and Schwartzman was playing fantastically well. So, you know, he he, he deserved his victory, as, as he said in his post-match um, interview on court. And, uh, yeah, I mean, arguably, Schwartzman should have really won it in three or four sets. I mean, it was a fan- it was a fantastic match. And I was like, I was actually bothered that it went so long. I was kind of like, it was definitely a credit to certainly best of five set tennis. Um, it was a real... It was really gripping. It was kind of very topsy-turvy. You didn't really know, you know, which way it was going to go. And, you know, there were lots of kind of storylines, I think, developing through the match in terms of, you know, was Schwartzman able, was he going to be able to break through to his, you know, first semi-final at a Grand Slam? Was Dominic Team going to be able to overcome, you know, his five-set win against um, Hugo Gaston in, in the in the fourth round? And, um, you know, ultimately, the answer to that was no. Um, it was interesting in his in his post-match press conference, the way he described his um, physical exertions probably from that match before, but probably also over, you know, the last, you know, three, four weeks or so, he said he was over the limit um, physically. And, um, you know, Schwartzman, to his credit, he pushed him over that limit because that match was really, I mean, I was just kind of following it on um, on live score. And, you know, we were getting into the third set and we were, we were like only kind of, we were already over three hours in. And I thought, you know, this is a real, you know, this is a real treat for fans because this is, this was proper, I mean, this was proper clay court stuff. And Diego Schwartzman is really in a, a purple patch of his, his career at the moment. And, and really it's, it's very impressive. I mean, the fact that, you know, at the US Open, he lost to, he lost to Cam Norrie. He was two sets yeah. up against Cam Norrie in round one, lost in five sets. Um, picture of him on the, on his balcony, um, in, in Arthur Ashe, in, in one of the, <laughs> the player suites looking all kind of glum and, and forlorn. And, um, yeah, I mean, what a turnaround. He beats Nadal in, in Rome and now he beats, you know, the heir apparent to, to Nadal uh, at Roland Garros and he's in his first semi final. And, um, yeah, it was it was great, and um, you know I think what was so kind of touching about the match was that kind of going into it, they were talking about how you know they're, they're friends off the court. Um, you know, obviously there's you know it's a it was a competitive match, and there's a rivalry there, but um, you could tell I think at the end when they kind of embraced each other at the net um, that you know team was you know team was almost kind of happy in a way that you know his friend was able to kind of. Um, in a weird way, sort of kind of beat him um, because, you know, he, he gave him a test and Schwartzman overcome it. And, he, you know, and team was almost kind of like, you know, fair play. You, you were better. You were better on the day. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that although it was a brutal, you know, battle between the two of them, they were obviously both very fair and sporting on the court with each other. And, you know, you could tell that at the end, you know, and at the net. And yeah, team said that, you know, it, although he's sad that he lost it, you know, he's still happy for his mate. So, and I think all things considering Dominic team, you know, if he just said, oh, he's won the US Open quarters at the French, but, you know, still playing really well and, and not having like a slump in the first week of, of, of this tournament, I think he'd be happy generally speaking, with with both of those tournaments. Um, you know, I think it's just like the mental focus that is needed, you know, at a Grand Slam, like, you know, round after round, you know, from the, from, from the US Open to here. And it's just, I can't even imagine, you know, how he's, he's he managed to play so well and get to the quarterfinals alone. I mean, I think I was expecting him to kind of crack maybe early. I, I, I don't know, but... Um, yeah, all in all, excellent tournament for Dominic team, really. And to lose to someone kind of playing, you know, the, the most inspired tennis of their career, that's absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. I mean, yeah, Diego, Thornton, he, you know, like you said, he's he's broken new milestones. He's got two wins over top five players now, you know, first Masters final in Rome, first Grand Slam semi here, and he's going to be debuting in the top 10 as well. So, I mean, obviously he's got Rafa next, um, but he knows he can beat Rafa now because he did it a few weeks ago in Rome. And uh, I mean, that's going to be interesting. A lot of people, I guess, will say, you know, this is a Grand Slam. It's a whole different kettle of fish, you know, best of five. But I mean, Diego Schwartzman did show yesterday that he over five sets is, you know, strong and resilient. And, you know, his his level was very, very solid, I thought, over those five sets and you know, he got stronger and stronger you know, as it as it went. I know team was was vis- you know visibly tiring, and that last set was really. I don't think he had anything left in the tank, but um, yeah, it will be certainly interesting. I still think over five sets. I think Schwartzman did show for me there was a there was a bit of streakiness. I felt like he definitely had uh, you know patches where his level wasn't you know you know where he would have you know hoped it was, particularly in that second and third set I think you know he said quite candidly he missed a lot of opportunities he missed a lot of easy opportunities um to kind of take the match by the scruff of the neck but you know he he was just able to kind of stick with it and really it all kind of it all kind of pivoted on that at fourth set tiebreak where he was able to to win it seven five and uh, you know that was almost kind of the moment I think that he you know he broke team and although kind of team what I felt was kind of wilting you know, up until that point, um, you know, 6-2 kind of fifth set, he really was able to kind of just kind of, uh, you know, seal the deal. And um, yeah, it it was just, it was funny because, you know, his, his, obviously his diminutive stature on a tennis court is not something, you know, we often see. Yes, we've had, you know, players like, I guess, you know, Leighton Hewitt is the, you know, my, the go-to example in terms of a, you know, a, a player of a really, really good caliber, not necessarily being a, you know, a giant, um, of the game, but, um, certainly Schwartzman on a, on a clay court. I feel like there are obvious, you know, parallels and comparisons to David Ferrer in terms of kind of the, you know, that sort of terrier-like attitude, um, that he can bring to a tennis court that, all those kind of makes up for, you know, it makes up for not being, uh, you know, having a, you know, a really big first serve or, um, you know, really big, powerful kind of ground strokes. He just is able to just be a, a terrier absolutely, you know, across the court. And, you know, he posed problems for Nadal. He posed problems for, uh, you know, Dominic team here. I mean, he hadn't dropped a set 
coming into the the team match. He's only obviously he's dropped he's dropped two now, but he really is in the you know the form of his life, and um, I think he's going to break the you know he's going to break the top ten um, in terms of the rankings. And yeah, I mean it, it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating kind of contest with with Nadal. But um, yeah, I like I think there's like I almost want to call him like the new little beast because I know kind of. Ferrer kind of got that that moniker and I wonder if I don't know if you, you you agree with me or not but I feel like Schwartzman's almost kind of like the new is he the new David Ferrer on a on a clay court like or is he like the you know he's got that sort of tendency I feel like just to kind of be a, a nuisance and you know even though he's quite short he can really kind of cause really big problems I like what you did there. <laughs> Even though he's short, he caused big problems. Uh, yeah, he's a bit like a Duracell bunny, uh, which I think David Ferrer was often referred to as. Um, and, you know, he he made a French Open final and, uh, you know, what have you. But, yeah, it's interesting to see how much this this sort of marathon match will take out of um, Schwartzman. I know he would have had, well, two days and a bit to recover. So it's interesting, you know, mentally and physically, like obviously he's in new territory and although he's beaten Rafa recently, you know, this is best of five and you've got to expect him to be feeling nerves and expectation expectation at this kind of situation. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see whether he can keep that form up against Rafa. I mean, I think he knows the tactics, you know, strategically how to, to play and beat Rafa now after, after what happened in Rome, but it's just whether he can actually execute a game plan. And that's actually kind of what we saw with Sinner last night is that he had the right idea a lot of the time, but it was just the execution of it that uh, often was was failing. You know, he served for that first set and uh, threw in quite a few errors, I think, in that game because he's, he's, he just, you know, obviously he was thinking of the gravity of the situation, you know, serving for the first set against, you know, 12-time champion. And, you know, Rafa was able to break back, go to the tie break, win the tie break. And then from there, you kind of almost felt like it was a formality. Uh, you know, Sinner was 3-1 up in that second set. But again, you know, Rafa broke back. And, you know, especially once it got to the third set, you thought, well, it's only a matter of time before the end is nigh for, for Yannick Sinner, but he, he did very well. And, you know, he was, I was very impressed with how calm he was on the court, how composed he was. Um, You know, he doesn't show much. He's got a bit of a poker face out there, which I quite, I quite liked that. He seemed very, you know, mature beyond his years. And I do think he will, he will go far because of that attitude. Yeah. I mean that, the Dal Sinner match, um, I mean, first of all, I was just surprised it went on at the time it did. Um, They were, I think, you know, given that there was, as you said, I think it's interesting given that there were two days, there's two days, you know, to, to the men's semifinals, which are on the, you know, the Friday felt like they maybe could have, you know, pushed it back to today, but maybe they felt that they were going to be in the, you know, same, same situation with, you know, five mats on five matches on Chatre, but actually in a worse position with, you know, three men's matches, for example. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think what was interesting about the, the Sinner Nadal match, and I think what Schwartzman might be looking at is is that first set because that first set for me was the first set that Nadal really has been you know tested this tournament, and um, you know he was put in a spot of bother. I mean, Sinner Sinner served for it, um, and yeah, he did he did freeze <laughs> maybe quite literally because it was so cold out there, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, he he definitely caused problems for Nadal, and I think 
you know, I think that was to do with, you know, who was opposite him in, in terms of Sinner and, you know, the way he was playing. I just felt that kind of his, you know, the power that he's able to generate off his uh, ground straights, it was just kind of like, it just hit through the really cold air. Um, whereas I also kind of think, you know, the, the conditions definitely were not favorable to Nadal they might have even been you know he he called them kind of dangerous and you know almost like it's too cold to play in the, it's too cold to play in this weather um sort of uh you know in his, his conference in his press match conference afterwards but um you know it was quite obvious that his you know his classic and we all kind of were expecting this his sort of you know, top spin forehand wasn't getting as much bounce. And ultimately it was just kind of ending up in the, you know, in in the sweet spot for, for Sinner. Um, and, you know, if you're going to put, if, if that happens again against Schwartzman, I mean, if Schwartzman again has the game of his life, he's going to be, you know, he's definitely going to be causing more, you know, more problems than Sinner. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think Schwartzman will do well to kind of look at that first set and, and, kind of yeah build a game plan from there yeah i i was thinking last night i was thinking oh uh, did they give the players a choice in in you know whether they sort of stayed up and played this match or you know could they have moved it to the next day you know because i was just thinking these conditions are just horrendous for rafa's game (laughs) and uh i I imagine that the organizers probably were just like no you've, you've got to go on and play um however late it is and however cold so i mean i would imagine that the semi and you know if the, the final as well um should should you get so far would would obviously be in the daytime so it shouldn't be as cold but who knows it might be under a roof it could be blistering hot sunshine we don't know what's going to happen um but certainly you know this just adds a, a totally different you know dimension and challenge you know for Rafa to kind of hold on to his his title really with with these conditions that yeah like you said they are I think the most anti-Nadal conditions um that he's had to play at Roland Garros and yeah it that's gonna favor Schwarzman I think favor all the opponents really um against Rafa and I think he will be looking at at what Yannick Sinner was almost able to do last night um I mean that I mean Rafa is 24 and 0 in the semi-finals and finals at Roland Garros. So he's never lost at this stage. Uh, I know he's had some very close matches at this stage, especially with Djokovic. But uh, it's almost like I think I think I think it was Jim Courier in the commentary last night. He was saying that you know Sinner at one point wasn't playing Rafa; he was just playing the reputation of Rafa. And I thought that summed it up nicely because at at this moment in time, you know, it's not just kind of the day in question and and the man on the other side of the net it's all the history and the knowledge that you know this guy has never lost at this stage and i you know if that gets into Schwartzman's head that's that's gonna potentially be the deciding factor i think on friday but um i think you know he does have he does have hope and he has certainly a very good chance given you know what happened in rome I mean, that is the only time he's beaten rafa it was nine and oh before that on their head-to-head so um yeah, as a Rafa fan, I'm quite worried as a Rafa fan. So, <laughs> I think a lot. Um, I mean, we have been talking about the conditions. This is nothing, you know, this is nothing new to, you know, talking about Nadal, I think, over the last, you know, couple of weeks. But I think, I think Schwartzman will, you know, I think the fact that he beat him in, you know, in Rome uh, will do him, it will do him the world of good. It will give him a lot of confidence. But at the same time, I don't think he, I almost feel like he needs to shut that out of his, his brain and just kind of 
you know, be like, right, this is a kind of a, almost kind of a completely different kettle of fish here. You know, I'm playing, you know, Nadal, you know, at the, you know, at Roland Garros over best of five. Um, I need to, you know, I need to do what I was doing in best of three and just kind of apply that to, yeah, kind of, a, you know, at the Grand Slam. And if he's able to do that, then, you know, who knows? We could, we could be in for an upset. I mean, we've had so many this tournament. It would not, you know, it would, it would not surprise me in the slightest, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, before we kind of move on to the, you know, the women, Kim, I mean, if we do a, a quick, quick prediction, quick pr- preview of, of Nadal Schwartzman semi-final, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm still, I'm still thinking Nadal, but maybe I, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say Nadal, Nadal in five. Well, I've got Rafa, you know, I've got Rafa winning in my collector set, which is just what I hope happens. But um, yeah, I, I think Rafa... Yeah, Rafa in, in five or four. I don't know. It depends on how sunny it is on the day, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I do I yeah, I, I do think that for me, I think the fact that it's a slam, best of five, and the fact I feel like Schwartzman might have some fatigue from um the quarterfinal. And and I mean, if Schwartzman does get through and and it's another epic five set, you know, five hour match with Rafa, I think then Schwartzman come in the final would be like destroyed. And I think whoever his opponent would be in the final would be feeling quite good about that. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Rafa will edge it. Um, But yeah, let's see. Uh, Let's talk about the women's tennis uh, from yesterday, Joel, because obviously we had three matches on court actually. And that's why obviously Rafa and Sinner were so, were so late as well because they, you know, had the delayed Collins and Ons Yabor match. Um, Obviously, Collins won that, and we'll get on to her a bit later because obviously she's then played her semi since then. But quarter, quarter. Sorry, I'm I'm so confused because we've had yeah. Sorry, her quarterfinal. <laughs> um, Nadia Podoroska and Alina Svitolina. You know they had they were up in the first of the women's quarterfinals yesterday, and I this did not go the way I thought it would go. But in hindsight, it's not the biggest surprise, I suppose, because. Svitolina is, as we have discussed, one of those players that, you know, just fails to um, get the big win, fails at this kind of stage of the tournament to actually kind of progress. And I mean, normally she she comes up against, I don't know, Serena or or someone who, you know, has a big game and, and kind of just gets the job done. But this time, you know, you, you would have thought playing a qualifier ranked 131 in the world that she would be able to to come through that but unfortunately for Svitolina fans uh that wasn't the bit wasn't the case I mean Podoroska has I think made history becoming the first qualifier at the French Open to reach the semi-finals which is um uh, an absolutely uh incredible achievement um but yeah I mean if you saw that scoreline on paper you would have you would have I think you would have you would have said that is a that was a that was very much a shot. But actually, if you watch the highlights, you watch the match itself. Podoroska was playing absolutely fantastic tennis. I think, I think I saw, I was reading her, you know, her record on clay this season um, in 2020 is 22 and three um, across kind of WTA and ITF level. She's obviously, you know, she's just got a lot of momentum. She just knows how to win on a clay court. And you know, as I was saying in a kind of a previous episode, I just think that, it doesn't when that's the case it almost kind of doesn't matter you know what ranking um you know the the player is opposite you and um you know she really does have this belief i think in her that she can you know she can go on and win the thing and um 
yeah, I think Svitolina, on the other hand, is she almost, I think maybe she played it a bit too safe. You know, I, I was kind of going into this match wondering, you know, for me, kind of Svitolina is a player who, you know, she, she gets to the, you know, the latter ends of, uh, you know, Grand Slam tournaments. I think she's got to um, seven combined semifinals or quarterfinals at Grand Slam so far. Um but she always kind of comes unstuck. And, you know, I think it's a question of, you know, is it, you know, before this, I was kind of like, that's because, you know, she's coming up against a really, you know, high ranked player who's playing really good tennis that on the day is better than her. But actually, I'm wondering after this performance, whether, yeah, she has an issue in terms of bringing it, bringing her best tennis out at the, you know, at, at you know, this level in a tournament. Um, because, you know, she she really should have been, you know, doing a lot better than I think losing six two six four, um, you know, in a, in a quarter final to someone ranked one hundred and thirty one in the world. Um, yes, it I is twenty twenty, but yeah, twenty twenty. <laughs> we can well, blame everything on twenty twenty. Everything, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's twenty twenty. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I would, I would have expected Svitolina to, you know, take it to a third set at least. You know, someone of her caliber. But I guess I just, I was thinking Podoroska would come into that and be quite nervous. You know. Grand Slam quarterfinal. This is a different kettle of fish than the you know, the second round, but she just didn't have that. You know, she she just played so so well, and uh, whether she keeps that up in the semi final, I'm not sure. But um, Svitolina really does need to do some maybe a bit more soul searching and 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 think about how she's going to, I guess, avoid just becoming one of the maybe one of those players that you know maybe ought to have won a slam and, and never actually does um because she's perfectly fine getting over the finish line and you know pr- you know warm up tournaments and other events but is she in that Pliskova category of like being very good on the on the tour um you know she won in Strasbourg for example um but when it does come to grand slam she's never quite able to put it together are we uh, is that Bit harsh well, yeah. no, I mean, she. I feel like, yeah, she could be a bit of a Wozniacki in the sense that she might grab one towards the end of her career or something uh, and everyone will be like, oh, that's nice. Uh, but I don't think she's ever going to be like danger woman in the draw unless she changes things. I mean, it was nice that Podoroska, you know, she has a, she has a, you know, all court game. She's it's very refreshing to watch. Um, and I just think, you know, what she's managed to do here is, you know, unbelievable. Like who would have thought that if all the names in the draw, I mean, normally you just kind of look at qualifiers and think, oh, there'll be, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so big name is going to be playing a qualifier. You don't really look into their, like look into them that much because you just expect them to to lose so early. And and this is actually one thing that we we never, ever got the chance to have at the US Open because they didn't have qualifying. And, and then I think it's quite, ironic then that we get the, you know, the next slam on this kind of amazing cohort of qualifiers that go deep in the tournament. And, you know, Podoroska has gone deepest of all. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it raises an interesting point because, you know, I don't know, I don't know what other, other listeners think, but is it, is it a good look for the WTA tour if, you know, the fact that a qualifier, I mean, Sviatek, sorry, Sviantek, um, also, you know, unranked, um, sorry, unseeded even, um, you know, getting through to the, the semifinals. I mean, what does that say about the, you know, the, the top 20? Because, um, I know we've got, we're going to come on to kind of Kvitter and Kennan in the, in the bottom half, but they're the only two that's left, um, you know, from the, the top 20. Everyone else is, is outside of that. And, um, 
you know, do you have any issues with the fact that I guess you know qualifiers are making it this far? Because you know we would normally expect them. I guess you know if it was a really remarkable run to get to the second week, I think is a good kind of benchmark. But um, you know, beyond the fact that you know this is twenty twenty and you know lots of crazy and unpredictable things are happening um you know does it you, do you think there's a commentary there on kind of the form of the top 20 or do you think this is just kind of a you know Podoroska's playing out of her skin she might even be playing like a top 20 player at the moment um yeah i don't know if, if some people might look at it in in a different in a kind of on a different slant in a negative context yeah i get what you mean but i just i do think this is very weird you know at the moment like we've just come from the hard court straight onto clay you know normally there's a whole period of like six or seven weeks and number of tournaments like building up to this tournament where the top players will have honed their um clay court prowess a bit more and and I think the fact that there's no crowd as well you know I think um, that's a massive factor that maybe we haven't talked about enough Kim, are you trying to say qualifiers just play in front of like one man and their dog on on the Futures Tour or whatever that is well that's true and then therefore when they come into these bigger matches they're they're not phased because there isn't a massive crowd and they don't get that same sense of occasion and to them it's maybe just you know another match okay the stadium's bigger and yeah, I'm sure they know it's Roland Garros and not some kind of ITF event, but, um, you know, like a features event or whatever. Um, but it's, I don't know. I think that, I think that's, a, that has an influence as well. Uh, but not forgetting that on the men's side, we've had also, we had qualifiers, you know, getting kind of to the fourth round and such like. So I, I think because we've seen it there a bit as well, I don't think it's necessarily to say that the women, the WTA is, you know, has has issues and the top players are not kind of deserving of their position because they're just kind of more inclined to to lose easily. I think we know there's more depth on the WTA and that the, the ATP at the moment is so unique with the, the big three. They're, I mean, they're not all they're not all there as well. So yeah, yeah. it's just a, yeah. it's just a question. I don't, as I said, I think there are you know, I think some people might look at it in a you know, this is a fairy tale, you know fairy tale story great story etc um but i don't know again if there are people who might be thinking well hang on what where's where are the where are the top 20 ranked players at because um yeah because the other the other quarterfinal again was a quarterfinal that we could have not could not have predicted um Sviontek versus trevisan of italy um again trevisan another qualifier Sviontek coming off of that uh remarkable simona halep win Shiontek coming through this 6-3 6-1 backing up that um backing up that victory um over over Simona Hallett um I mean I didn't I didn't catch much of this match Kim but um again I mean Shiontek is just looking like a I mean she's looking like the real deal at the moment isn't she and I know we are we we have installed her as the favorite and it doesn't really have seemed to have made much difference uh you know because she she kind of yeah, she just kind of passed off Trevisan with with relative ease. Yeah, she she had a bit of a, a slightly nervy start to the match. You know, Trevisan went up a break, but after that point, you know, Shvontek just kind of let loose and, and off she went and never looked back. Really, um, you know, she she knew that she wasn't going to play as well as she played had played against Halep. You know, I think that that was a real exceptional performance even for her standards, but. Um, you know, she got she got the job done, and, and essentially, you know, again another very dominant set score. Like there's only been one player to have even got to four games against her in a set, and I think that was Su Wei Shea in the second round. You know, if you look at her 
scores. It's it's a bit like Jennifer Brady at the US Open. She was just kind of annihilating people. And um whereas in this case, you know, Sviontek in the semi final will be the favourite, um, unlike Brady who who came up against Osaka. I mean, yeah, it's it's really like she, she's she's just having the fortnight of fortnight of her life because she's in the semis of the women's doubles as well with Nicole Melikar. And I think actually that's probably helped her because you know, on her days off, she can focus on something else. She's obviously, um, you know, still still playing and getting practice in, but she's, you know, building an all-court game, you know, sharpening up other skills, you know, the net and such like. And I think she's learned a lot from Melikar as well, who's a very experienced, you know, doubles player. And I think that's, bring, you know, that's coming into her singles game as well. So um, I think tactically that's helping her. I think it's helping to relax her and... I think she's just so focused and she's so young. She's only like 19, but she's just seeming to kind of be doing it all and taking it in her stride. And I thought actually it was quite interesting because a few journalists, I think, have, have been talking about this. The fact that, you know, she hasn't been kind of receiving the same, I would, I don't know, preferential treatment that perhaps some other like younger up and coming players have been getting with regards to wild cards into like tour level events you know the likes of Koha Goff for example because of you know everything surrounding her she's she's going to basically be guaranteed a wild card um for example you know just to kind of pick her but Sviontek has not had that kind of same good fortune she's had to really graft and work her way through kind of qualifying for all these events and now her ranking is obviously like high enough but um before that she really had to just dig deep and do it on her own and I think she's saying you know that's really helped her kind of with her kind of fortitude and strength and and you know just developing her abilities on court um you know both mentally and and physically but um, I think that's all coming together now for her, really. And she's in such a, you know, if, if she was coming up against, I don't know, Serena Williams or Osaka or something, you know, you might think otherwise. But against Podoroska, you know, she is the, Sviontek is the overwhelming favourite, really, in that match, you know, considering her tournament as a whole. And I just, yeah, I, th- I have to give her the edge if, if we're looking ahead to that. Um, I, I, I think Podoroska will play well, but I, I just think she won't have enough. I think Sviontek will be too dominant uh tomorrow for her but i mean regardless bodoroska will have done amazing to have got so far um but yeah i can't see it being anyone but shviontek really tomorrow again i think shviontek's playing a level of tennis that not many well not any players are are able to live with at the moment and i don't think i don't think she's going to suffer any sort of nerves i don't think in the you know, against Podoroska could be wrong, but yeah, I'm, I'm predicting, I'm thinking straight sets victory for Sviontek in that. Um, just kind of before we kind of hit an ad break very quickly, um, we did have some breaking news actually from yesterday, which did cause uh, a couple of eyebrows being raised around, um, some betting and some particularly some betting irregularities. Um, some suggestions of match fixing in one of the ladies doubles matches. I think in the first round, um, it was between a uh, Romanian pair of Andrea Mitu and Patricia Marie, uh, against Jana Sijakova and Madison Brengel. Um, 
So, I mean, again, some controversies being, um, some controversies being dealt with, um, <laughs> you know, by kind of Roland Garros and, uh, you know, that match in particular. Um, you know, people can kind of go into, people can kind of search on, on Google if they want to kind of have a look into what was kind of being accused there. But essentially, lots of money being bet on, uh, on, uh, on one of the players kind of service games and um yeah just another element of um just another element of controversy being brought to the brought to Ronald Garris as if we haven't had <laughs> enough of it so far but um yeah it's in- interesting that one um I mean I find it bizarre I don't know anything about sports betting I'm not gonna lie I probably will never want to get involved in all that but um so the fact that people bet on just someone just one game on a serve being brokered or not I mean uh, who who decides that that's going to be a thing? I, I don't know. I'm I'm very novice to all of that, but uh, yeah, I hope they they look into that and and get to the bottom of it. And whoever's I don't know responsible, let's turf them out of the sport because we we don't want them we don't want them there, do we, Joel? Um, but yes, let's have an ad break and then we'll be chatting through all of today's play. So see you in a moment. So, Joel, uh, we have the second women's semi-final, uh, which was set today. Petra Kvitova against Sofia Kenin. Uh, both of them came through against their respective opponents. So we had first up on Chatrier, Petra Kvitova against Laura Ziegmund, uh, which was a straight set kind of fairly, you know, comfortable victory for, for Kvitova. Um, you know, she just was a, a class above Siegmund, I thought, really. Um, yeah, there were... There were a few. I think Siegmund was struggling with a with a bit of an injury, um, and it wasn't you know perfect by any by any standards you know from Kvitova, but she certainly did enough to um, to get through that one. And and you know, did she could... not order any more food to the tennis court? No, sadly not. I know we were kind of all waiting <laughs> to see what Siegmund would do in this in this match, food wise, or if there would be a double bounce. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Petra Petra did enough. She came through. And she is now into the second semi-final at the French Open of her career. You know, she hasn't been in this position since 2012. And, you know, she's a very different player uh, now as to, as to how she was. You know, she's so much more mature. She's been through a lot, uh, especially that knife attack. So this is, I think, a very emotional um, achievement for her to, to reach. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was pleased that she came through. I mean, no offence against Siegmund. You know, she's done remarkably well. She's she's the oldest uh, first-time Grand Slam quarter-finalist since, I think, I forget the name, but since someone did it in, like, the 70s. So she's, you know, got to be very proud of her 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 tournament. But, uh, yeah, Kavita was through again. She hasn't dropped a set either, Joel. So uh, I don't know if you how you fancy her chances in the semi-final against Kennan. I mean, oh, my God, we've got two seeded players playing each other in the women's draw um that hasn't happened often Shocker. i think it's only the <laughs> i think it's only the fourth time this tournament which feels quite remarkable really um that we've had a seed versus seed match the other three were Halep versus anna samova Sitalina versus alexandrova and sabalenka versus yabor um so that's quite remarkable in itself but um yeah i mean Kvitova, I think, you know, even though it was a 6-3-6-3 scoreline, I mean, I think the, you know, yeah, the first set was easy. I think she had a little bit of a wobble in the in the second set. But I think, yeah, she showed her sort of temperament on the, on the tennis court. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are, 
I think if if people were kind of ruled by their by their hearts, I think they would, um, you know, they would back Petra Kvitova. I think there's a lot of sort of you know, given the you know, given her story and her. You know what she's been through. Um, you know she, everyone is kind of willing her on in a sort of almost kind of in that Azarenka, you know, U.S. Open sort of role um, about you know willing them to you know get get another Grand Slam, add another Grand Slam to their tally. That will not be an easy thing to do, though. Particularly, um, you know, a semi final against you know Sophia Kenin. I mean, Kenin came through Daniel Collins in in three sets, six four, four six, six love. I mean. This match between Kenin and Collins was just full on, like <laughs> the the amount of come ons I think I heard in that match, um, <laughs> especially yeah, in the second set. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and also Collins Collins shriek at four all. I think in the I think it was in the second set. It was almost kind of ear splitting, but um, it was really um, yeah, it was a really I think it was really feisty and sort of classic sort of you know two Americans on a on a clay court, which I mean, you know, is, is sort of surprising in itself if you, if you think about it, but um, yeah, I mean, Kenin, uh, yeah, Kenin, I think Kenin has looked really good and it, it's again, really, you know, surprising to think that, you know, Kenin, who's the Australian open cha- champion, if we're going to have three grand slams this year, she could be in a situation where she holds two of the three of them, um, which is, which would be remarkable. Um, I mean, if you kind of, Talk to me about Kvitova versus Kenin. I probably give the slight edge to Kenin. I just think she just has this steel steel about her that whenever whatever situation she finds herself in, she's able to come through. Um, I know she's had a lot of. I know she's had a few three set kind of wins along the way um, in this tournament, and I just think that sort of battle hardenedness. Um, I think will help her a lot against Kvitova, who's, I think, you know, maybe had a bit of an easy ride so far, but I think against Kenin, I think Kenin might be able to, I think she might be able to kind of negate the, you know, the Kvitova power um, and potentially come through that in, in three sets. Yeah, I feel that Kenin has had um, harder opponents. And yes, she's, I think she only had one match that was straight sets in the third round. And I know Kvitova, she had Leila Annie Fernandez in the third round, was down in that first set. So obviously had to fight back in that. But I feel that when the chips are down, I would rely on Kenin coming through. She's had to do that throughout this whole tournament. So she's ready. She's ready for another battle, should there be one in the semi final. And. Um, yeah, she's just she's great, isn't she, at producing it when she when she needs to and having that kind of edginess to to get through and over the finish line. And I know today in the third set against Danielle Collins, you know, Collins was struggling with an abdominal injury. She had to get treatment, and it you know quickly ran away from her. You know, it was a bagel in that last set. But I I, I do think Kenin has the edge against Kvitova. Um, it's it's weird though because you know Kvitova has won clay court tournaments. Kenin hasn't even been in the final of a clay court event before, and and we know that she had that awful loss to Hazarenka in Rome. So I think she's done so well to um, I guess put that out of her mind and, and not let that phase her. You know, not let that sort of make her think, oh, I've I've just been double bagged on clay. I'm not a clay court player. How could I play on this surface? You know, she hasn't let that get to her. 
I mean, in a weird way, I think that's almost kind of helped her almost set, mm. like set the re- set the reset button and yep. um, has potentially helped her, you know, this tournament because you know she could literally come into this tournament with no no expectation on her, um, you know, no um, yeah, no eyes on her, no pressure, and yeah, she's just come out swinging and yeah, she's played, you know, she's played really well. She's a you know she's a fighter on a tennis court, and I think it's her. I certainly think it's her movement. I think that really kind of ensures that she's a real like on her day can be a real handful to operate um and if she can use that movement to kind of nullify the you know the power of Kvitova um yeah I I mean for me I think that potentially is what might happen um and Kenin could could come could come through and eke through that semi-final I mean just just talking about Collins because um I, I mean kind of watching this match did you feel that she was disadvantaged by the fact that you know she played uh, you know, two matches in a row. I mean, she had a three-setter against Yabor uh, yesterday. Um, I'm not not necessarily in terms of kind of like maybe just you know back-to-back three-set matches is you know is you know standard for the you know for the tour like for the you know the WTA tour. I just think more maybe potentially in terms of you know being in you know unknown territory, going deep into a tournament, going from you know round four to the, the quarterfinals, whether that maybe there was that extra maybe emotional um sorry mental kind of toll um that maybe kind of put Collins at a disadvantage when she was stepping onto court again this Kenin who obviously had a you know an extra night to to think about things yeah I think that long delay was it on the Monday when Collins and Yabor would have been hanging around and then they you know didn't get to play their match had to come back I think that would have taken a bit of a toll and then obviously, actually, if Collins had won, she would have been playing three days on the trot, which, yes, in, in normal WTA tour, that's that's normal. But for a slam, it's not. So, um, yeah, perhaps preparation for this match wasn't, you know, enough as it should have been. But, uh, like, she did really well. I mean, at the start of the tournament, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily said she was going to be in the quarterfinal. I mean, perhaps her partnership with Almagro is is paying off. Um, I still think that's quite a interesting partnership. Although Almagro did used to get quite worked up on the court, so perhaps they they suit each other. <laughs> I have to say, when Danielle Collins does a, you know, I'm not going to do a rendition, but a come on, um, I just laugh. I, I know some of her opponents might find it a bit annoying or kind of stressful but I, I just think it's hilarious uh you know she's just so into it it's, it's great. so in your face it's so <laughs> in your face I think she must be one of the most in your face players yeah on, oh, uh, yes. on the WTA tour I definitely can see her kind of you know rubbing up you know players the wrong way who don't kind of get on with it um you know from what I was kind of reading of the you know the preview between um Kenin and Collins I think they're actually quite good friends off the court so I think it was a bit um I don't think it's ever personal, is it? You know, with with uh, Collins, it's just to get her, her get her going, isn't it? Really, I I do think that Collins like Sharapova would be quite frosty, though. I know <laughs> that's not going to happen, but I don't know. I always felt that Sharapova sort of was one of those players that perhaps never really gelled with perhaps other players on the tour on the circuit, and I feel that Collins, I I don't know how how kind of. How, I don't know how well she gets on with, with other players. I, I kind of get the impression that she's sort of, because she's so edgy, a lot of players might turn away. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't I don't know really. I don't know anything about her, to be honest, like in terms of her, her personality off the court. But it just makes me laugh, you know, how she how she behaves on the court. So fair play to her. You know, she's had a good tournament uh, all in all. You know, she's had that big, that 
win over Muguruza. So um, she's played her part. She's she's got rid of one of our favourites. I mean, Joel, here we were like a week and a half ago saying, oh, yeah, really can't see be can't see beyond Halep, Azarenka or Muguruza and how very wrong <laughs> we all were there. I know, I know. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, we... I mean, we should just be, I guess we should just be thankful. We've got, we've got, uh, you know, seeded oppositions. We've got seeds versus seeds against each other in the, in the semi-finals. I guess it's not the seeds we were, you know, we were potentially expecting. Um, but yeah, it certainly should be, it should certainly, I think should be a very feisty, a feisty match. And, um, we'll look forward to kind of seeing how that develops. But, um, let's kind of finish on the two men's matches from today. Um, starting with, uh, Stefanos Sissipas versus Andrei Rublev. Now, this was the Hamburg final, um, you know, two Sundays ago. And we were expecting a bit of a, you know, I think I, to quote myself, I was expecting a bit of a ding dong um, between <laughs> Sissipas and Rublev in, in, you know, in a, you know, in a quarterfinal with, you know, semifinal, semifinal spot on the line. But no, that did, that did not happen. And even though, you know, Rublev, I think started quite well in this match, Sissipas really, I mean, he was really on it and just kind of ran away with it. And, I think you know he's not. And yes, he won. He dropped the first two sets of the tournament, but but since then he's won every single set since, and he he is on a roll at the moment. Yes, I mean the first set was was close. That was a ding dong, I suppose, uh, if you like. Rublev served for it, but uh, <laughs> a mini uh, ding dong, a mini ding dong. Um, Sitspas came back from five three down to to clinch at seven five, and you know the next two sets after that were sort of so dominant, really, for Sitspas. Um, you know, he he really was able to control and, and kind of dictate everything from then on. And like his, his tactically, he he had it down to a T, worked out how to to beat Rublev um, fairly comfortably. And it was a bit of a shame because I was actually, you know, hoping that it might be some epic five setter. But, uh, you know, that's not to be. And, and Sitsipas is, is deservedly into the semifinals. Uh, a lot of our, our uh, collector sets participants will have got that correct. Um, I mean, obviously, Sitspas could could go further, but um, yeah, he uh, he's into the second semi final of his career because he reached the AO semis last year, I do believe. I mean, he just he just looks at the moment like he's a very, I think he's matured, but I think his game, I'd like specifically, I think his game has matured, and he looks mm. more of a a complete player, I'd say, um, which is you know is fantastic for you know someone who's you know only twenty two years of old. Uh, year 22 years old um you know i just think if you compare compare him to to rublev who's you know in a similar similar sort of uh you know i think he's just, i think he's actually the same age as, as sisypas and yeah i think rublev i think needs to still you know he's still developing his game i think sisypas is you know is, you know i think show today he's a step above but i certainly think rublev is on the is on the right path and you know we've 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 spoken before about you know Rublev and he's a very fiery player on court. You know, I've, I've witnessed I've witnessed that in person at the the U.S. Open. But um, you know, he is again another player. I think who is maturing, and I think he he does still need I think to add sort of you know components to his game. And I think you know I think what was really kind of what helped Sissipas to quite an easy victory in the end was I think he was kind of focusing specifically on the Rublev double-handed backhand so that might be an area Rublev needs to you know to, to work on but um you know the fact that Sissipas can go out on court um and if it's not going his way you know to begin with he can almost kind of work it out um you know he has that ability now and to have that you know 22 years of age is a really you know it's a really useful asset to have um 
<laughs> particularly when you're coming up against someone like Novak Djokovic next. Yes, because, you know, we saw in the Djokovic match this evening that Djokovic, he seemed to be struggling with uh, a bit of an injury to his neck or his left, um, like, tricep or bicep. He received some treatment. He seemed to be um, in, in a bit of pain, especially at the start of the match. Um, it was quite, it was affecting his backhand quite a bit and his serve at the beginning. So although he seemed to improve as the match went on, um, you know, he got the job done against Carino Bus, uh, four sets in the end. And, you know, Carino Busta had his chances throughout those those kind of remaining sets and was never quite able to capitalise. I thought he should have done better knowing that Djokovic was struggling down the other end. Um, but I think in my mind, you know, OK, Djokovic has come through. But if there is a lingering injury, is Sitsipas going to, you know, does, does he sense more of a chance here? Is he going to, I don't know. I mean, because before this, I would have said, no, Djokovic is going to win comfortably. But I don't know, this injury might might be giving Sitsipas food for thought, shall we say. Um, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of giving Sitsipas more more hope than perhaps I would have done beforehand. But I really don't know how 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 much this injury will affect Novak. I mean, we've, we have seen this from him before where he seemingly had something and it's, you know, I don't know, not been that much of an issue in the end. So... I don't think Sitsipas should focus on that because I think, you know, often that you're, you know, the opponent of the injured player can actually be thrown off their game because they're just focusing on, on that. So I guess he's just kind of got to go with, with his own game plan, regardless of what, what's going on down the other end. I think if there is one player who is able, who's playing a game right now, that's, it will be able to exploit any sort of weakness Djokovic may or may not have um, in a semi-final, then certainly, you know, I think Sissipas is probably in the, in the best position to do that. Cause as I said, he's been playing, he's been playing great tennis. Um, you know, he did, you know, he almost, he righted that wrong from the, you know, the Hamburg final where, you know, some, People were kind of saying he almost kind of choked against Rublev, Rublev in Hamburg. He's righted that wrong, and now he's in. You know, now he's got a shot at Novak Djokovic playing. You know, really, really, really good tennis. And um, yeah, it will be interesting to see. I mean, the fact that Novak Djokovic was playing Kareno Busta was quite uh, funny in the sense that you know, I think in, in the first set, for example. Um, you know, Kredio Buster was very in a very similar situation, didn't have the chance to serve out the set because Novak Djokovic got defaulted. Well, he got the chance, you know, this time round and was able was able to do so. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it will be, yeah, there will be, a, I think there will be an element of, I think there will be an element of concern around, you know, the health of, of Djokovic. I don't know. It, it feels like, you know, maybe this is, um, you know, been with him. Um, I mean, we've not really seen it, to be honest, like over the, you know, the last 10 days or so. But um, yeah, I definitely think that Sissipas could be in a position where he could potentially uh, triumph from it. But we all know that Djokovic is such a mentally strong, you know, physically strong player that, uh, you know, he's able to kind of play with these sorts of nagging um, doubts and still play still play lights out tennis yeah exactly I mean I I didn't I was surprised that 
PCB got a set, to be honest. Um, I, you know, I just thought this could have been an annihilation, especially, I don't know, I thought Novak might have wanted to, you know, he really prove something after US Open. But, but anyway, he came through at the end. Um, and we've got, you know, he's into the semis as, as expected. And perhaps, you know, sits past Novak was the semi that, that we expected. Completely different to the, the women's side of things, hey? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I still. What are oh, you going for? Djokovic. Um, unless his injury is actually quite pertinent in the semis, I, I would still expect him to to get the job done. I mean, it's hard to bet against him, really. And I mean, we saw Sitspas in the semi-final before against Rafa at the AO last year, and he kind of got completely blown away. And I, I don't think that will happen again. I don't think it will be that kind of scoreline. But I, I'm not... I'm. Still not 100% convinced by Sitspas yet at, at these at the deep stages. I I still think he's got some work to do. But um, as for, yes, yeah, so I, I think basically we'll probably see a Rafa Novak final. But oh, I don't know. Um, I I just don't want to predict anymore. <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> well, talk about I will, I, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, what I, are you well, gonna say? <laughs> I think I was just going to say, uh, well, I think it's going to be Sitspas by retirement after oh. uh, one set all. What, no, you I'm think Novak's going to retire? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't, oh we shouldn't I, say well, such things. No, I don't think. I don't think so. I think. I do think Sispas will give him a good run for his money. Um, hmm. I'm going to say. Um, would I be bold and say Sisipas in five? Mm, probably not. I probably would still go Novak Djokovic in four. Um, but at the same time, I think Sis, I think Sisipas is playing a really a really really good game. Imagine if we had a Schwartzman Sitsapass final. Oh my word. How odd would that be? Um but not necessarily, you know, I think as a neutral uh fan that would be quite exciting. But um I know there are some people who, you know, want the big three to carry on and others are like, no, we're sick of them. So it depends what floats your boat, really. But um let's kind of bring to a bring this episode to a close, Joel. Uh, just a quick word on the doubles. We've got the semi-finals lined up for the men's and women's doubles. So as we mentioned earlier, Sviontek's in the semi-finals of the women's doubles. She's playing with Nicole Melikar and they'll be playing uh Alexa Garachi and Desiree Krajic. Korzik. I'm really sorry. I'm probably murdering that name. Uh, but then on the other side, you've got Babel Samladenovic um, and Krejcikova and Sinyakova. So I would expect the winner to come from that semi. But, you know, Sviontek's on such a roll. Who knows? And then the men's semis, we've got Cabal and Farah, the top seeds against Pavic and Suarez, US Open champions. Um, and then Kulhoff and Mektic, US Open finalists, against your favourites, uh, Kravitz and Mees. Kravitz and Mees. Last year's come champions. On, Kravitz and Mees. Yeah, yeah, so all to play for in the doubles. Um, and then we've got the wheelchair events going on as well. Uh, so just a few notes on the Brits. Jordan Wiley lost today to um, actually another of your faves, Joel, D.D. De Groot uh, in, the, in the quarterfinals of the World Chess. All I want to know is, is De Groot playing with Van Coot Van in the, um, in the, I hope so. <laughs> in the, the wheelchair doubles. I hope so, yeah. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> Alfie Hewitt won today um, in the quarterfinals against Hude. So he's playing Gustavo Fernandez tomorrow in the semi. And then um, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid, they are also in the semis of the doubles. So um, we have some Brits still going strong in that event. Um, and yeah, Joel, just a last word as well. Um, again, uh, collector set, that's still going on as well. And uh, just a bit of smugness from me. I got Dominic team right for the quarterfinal. <laughs> I think that's like the only one I've ever got right. Uh, oh, really? Pretty, pretty much. 
Nice. Uh, and well Joanna, well Joanna Writer also got it correct and at Peanut5. Well so, Ooh, well um, yeah, and I think for everyone else, the the rest of the results kind of, we're just waiting on what's going to happen in the semis really with, with Nadal and Sitsipas. And I think, I think the only person that's on for four correct answers is Michael um, at Lob Winners. So he could be the winner. Ooh, Watch okay. this space. Well, we shall see. We shall see. We've all, all still a lot to play for in collector set. There's all still a lot to play for at the French Open. Um, we're now, yeah, getting into, getting into the business end of the tournament with kind of semi-finals from, from here on in. Um, I hope you can stay with us, uh, at the passing shot for the rest of the French Open. Uh, make sure that whatever podcasting platform of choice that you're on, if that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on the rest of the French Open. If you've been enjoying our coverage and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media, of course, uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. Um, we're also uh, on, a, on email. If you want to email us, PassingShotPod at gmail.com uh, to let us know your thoughts and maybe your predictions and see if you can make better ones than we do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, uh, semi-finals coming up. We will, of course, be uh, continuing with our round-by-round coverage with a semi-final catch-up from the passing shot we'll look to be putting that out on friday evening kim i'm just hoping that we don't have two marathon six hour plus semi-finals that are going to mean that we have to record at 3 a.m like silly o'clock yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but hopefully not but yeah hopefully listeners uh, yeah we will be putting out our semi-final catch-up uh, on friday evening so watch out for that one and uh yeah let's look forward to the the semi-finals and uh We'll catch you on Friday, well, Friday evening, hopefully. So uh, we'll see you again shortly. Goodbye.